It is May of, and I, it is August, not May. It is August of 2015. And Scott and I have just sat down for lunch after three services here at Forest Park. And we see on my phone that there's a missed call. And I look down and is a missed call from our son, Evan. For those of you who don't know Evan, he is the oldest of our three. And uh, I look down and I say, well, I probably should give him a call back because it's odd for him to call at this time of the day. I pick up the phone and I say, hey, baby, what's going on? And he is crying so hard that I cannot even make out what he's saying. And so once he's able to calm down, he says to me that his wife of three weeks, he had gotten married on August 2nd, this is August 21st, his wife of three weeks is saying that she made a mistake getting married and that she wants to leave. He had been accepted into a competitive internship at a large church in Anderson, South Carolina, and he was just getting started. He was so excited about his future. And with that one phone call, I understood that everything we had known was going to change. It was immense and deep grief. Another phone call in May of 2018. I get a call from our youngest, Cameron. And she says, hey mom, can I stop by um, during my lunch break? She was 18 years old and just getting started with work. And she says, can I come by and talk to you on a lunch break? I said, sure, no problem, you come by. And um, I want to see you and you know, it's okay baby, you come on back. It's always, hey baby. And so she sits across from me, she's 18 years old and she looks at me and says, I am pregnant. And I listened to her talk about the fact that now she was 18 years old and my baby was going to be having a baby. And it wasn't the fact that she was having a baby that was so difficult. It was the fact that I knew that the trajectory of her life that we thought was going this direction was taking an immediate turn and would forever be different. It was deep grief. And then another phone call in April of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Ashlyn and Josh are in Chowan Hospital um, waiting to have Elliot. And I'm out in the parking lot because obviously it's 2020 and you can only have uh, your person with you. And so of course that was her husband. So I'm sitting out in the parking lot waiting to hear is Elliot here? And it had been one hour, two hours, three hours and I had heard nothing. When I would call the nurse's station, they would say they'll get back with you as quickly as they can. Innately I knew something was wrong. And so I finally, I saw her call and I said, hey baby, what's going on? Is he here? She goes, yes, he is here and he is okay. But they almost lost me. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, literally mom, I almost died. And as happy as I was, so thankful that I was talking to her on the phone and that Elliot was here, because of the way Ashlyn is wired, her personality type, I could hear the trauma in her voice. And I knew that that would be immensely difficult for her to experience that and that she would forever be made different because her expectations of what she thought would happen were vastly different than what happened. It was deep grief. 
Now, though, all three of those situations are nothing to do with a physical death, which is the way we think about grief. We think about say goodbye to someone that we love, they pass away, we go to a funeral, um, we say goodbye to them. But the three situations that I shared with you are just as deep, just as real, emotional death because it was what I thought was going to happen for my three children, vastly different. And so it's the death of a dream. And I wanna share with you that emotional death needs a process of healing no differently than physical death. And we have to give ourselves time to process and accept that the life we thought we were going to have is very different. But this is what I want to say to you, is that your grief is welcome here. I want you to know that whatever you are in your process today, if you are angry or if you are facing a physical disability due to sickness or if someone in your life has destroyed you and you feel so angry today, that pain is welcome here. And to understand that the stories and the way that you feel, um, the stories of your life that are being written every single day, it causes confusion when things don't happen the way you thought they were going to. And that is welcome here. You know, I, uh, we talk a lot about the Enneagram, which is a personality type. Uh, you may have done that. My Enneagram number is an Enneagram one. That is the reformer. That's the person who fights for justice. The person who wants to see everybody do what they say they're going to do. So it's like, if you promise you're gonna show up on time and do this, then let's get onto it, let's do it. And so that's the way I think about it. But the thing that bothers me more than anything and that is difficult is unfairness of life. My mind just cannot process it. I feel like that if you work hard and you do the best you can, then there are some things that should just be natural byproducts of living a good life but that's not the way life is. That is not the way life happens. And when things happen that are unfair, it just makes it hard for me to sit in that. And it makes me angry. You know, when we say that God is love and we uh, preach that God sees all, he understands all, but have you ever just wanted to say, but this God, how can this happen if you are a good God? And he is, and we're gonna talk about that today. Life is a series of stories, your story, my story, and experiences that we all, in, we, we all have. Experiences by ourselves, experience with our family, experience with our friends. But more than that, life is the ebb and flow, the ups and down, the heights and depths, the highs and the lows. Life is made up of a series of those situations. It is the joy of looking into the face of a newborn baby, but it is the deep grief of yet another lost pregnancy. It is the joy of watching the person that you have promised to love forever, walk down an aisle, stand before your friends and family and promise to be there and yet you find yourself in a room with judges and with mediators and attorneys and you're looking across the face of that person and you don't 
even recognize who you see, grief. It is the joy of celebrating a wedding anniversary with friends and family saying, we made it this far, holding hands and saying, yes. And then in the next moment, you hold those same hands to hear a terminal diagnosis and wonder how did life change so quickly? It is grief. And what I want you to understand today and what I want you to feel just from these few short words that I have for you today is that it's okay to feel angry and it's okay to feel disillusioned and it's okay to feel as if you do not know how you ended up here. Because life, as much as it is a series of experiences and things that happen to us, it is also a series of choices of choices. Now for me, like I was sharing my Enneagram type, I like this sentence because what that does is it puts some power back into my hands because I can choose to walk this direction. I can choose to walk that direction. But when things happen to you, many times the choices that you have to make are as a result of what the choices are that other people have made. And so it's really important to understand that when life gets hard, it is really difficult to live it alone. I have a tendency to want to introvert uh, by myself, to kind of handle it by myself. And I really tried to do that when I was in deep grief with those situations I was sharing about. And the more I kind of turtled, that's what I called it, turtled inside, the harder it was for me to get out of bed every day. Because I would feel as if I've got to be strong for these kids. We got to keep marching through. We got to do the right thing. This is going to happen and we're going to make it through. But inside, I was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I was not acknowledging that the grief that I had was just as deep as the grief of what my kids were going through. And so that leads us to walking down a road of denial. Oh, it's not that bad. Somebody else has got it worse than me. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I got too much to do. I got to go to work. You got to go to work. Hey, you want to go have coffee? Uh, Let's go do this and let's go do that. Anything I can do not to feel my pain. And then we numb it. We might numb it with substance abuse. We might numb it with food, unhealthy relationships with all of those things. We might numb it with unhealthy relationship with work by throwing ourselves into the responsibilities that we have. But here's the thing about denial that I had to learn. It does not stop your grief. It just postpones the effects of it. You're eventually going to have to deal with that that's staring at you in the eyes. And you're going to eventually have to deal with that pain and that anger and that disappointment. Because if we don't, it comes across, let's say you snap at your children. You know, let it, you, that phrase, that I don't get phrases really good. I don't get any of that stuff, um, those jokes and all of those things. But this one does make sense to me. Don't cry over spilled milk. You know, and what makes sense to me with that is that when you are not dealing with what's going on inside of you, a spilled cup of milk seems as if the house is burning down. And you're like, what happened to the milk? And it's, it's just milk. And kids, by their very nature, spill milk. But when you snap at your child or you snap at your spouse or you snap at your coworker, and then you say, whoa, where did that come from? Many times what that is is unacknowledged 
grief, disappointment, and pain that you have yet to deal with. And so the other thing about those choices that I have had to realize and understand is that those choices that we make when we are hurting, depending on whatever it is, we have to manage those choices the rest of our lives. When my baby sat in front of me at 18 and told me she was going to have a baby, what was in my mind is that the words that I say to her are she is going to remember them for the rest of her life. The way I respond to this situation when she is at her most vulnerable, she was terrified. She was so scared to sit across from her mom and her dad that pastored this amazing church to say, I am going to have a baby and I knew that what I needed to say was something that would carry her through that moment, but would also eventually affect the life of her baby. Now, anybody that knows us knows that we are absolutely bonkers over that little boy. And any following us on Facebook or any social media, you see him, we call him the prince. You know, it's, he's the prince, and then Elliot's prince too, and now the other two little boys are prince three and four. I mean, it's just such a big deal. You know, but at that moment, who could see that? All I knew is that this path that she was on was going to be vastly different by becoming a mommy. And at that moment, everything became about helping her be a good mom. And so life is different. Life can be hard. It gets painful. It's confusing. And I want you to know that that frustrating part of life, it's just part of life. It's the humanity that makes you, you, and me, me. Because we are going to hurt. We are going to experience deep pain, deep suffering. And the thing is that Jesus says to us so many times in Scripture that I understand suffering I'm already there. I am going to be waiting for you with open arms in the middle of your pain. You don't have to do it alone. But it's hard to see that when you are in the moment. This, per, this sentence here is so important that you can absorb this, is that you can live both with purpose and with grief at the same time. You know, with me, like I was telling you, the concrete way I think, I've either got to be really, really sad and, and I can't, uh, it's hard to move and I want everybody to know I'm sad and we got to figure out how to fix the sad. All right, and once we fix the sad, then we can live with purpose. But that's not the way Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to understand that they are not independent of each other, but they can hold hands. You can live the life you're meant to live, but you can also feel deep sadness because things are just sometimes awful. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John chapter 16, or you can just read it right here. You don't have to get your Bibles. You can just read it right here. Um, I love the contemporary English version. That's what that CEV means. I've always worked with children, and I feel like I'm always looking for what translate the easiest for them to understand. And I have found that grown-ups are just big kids. All right, here we go. I have told you this, that you might have peace in your hearts. So this is Jesus talking, and he's saying, I'm telling you all these things that are happening so that you'll be at peace because of me, not because of you, not because of everything you've done or all the things that you're trying to accomplish, checking off all the list, but because of me. 
while you are in the world, you will have to suffer. You're just going to have to understand that it is as much a part of life to suffer as it is to experience joy. But Jesus says, cheer up people because I have defeated the world. He is saying, understand that the life that I have lived and the way I have lived it, you can have peace because of me. And you know what? That actually is really good for somebody like me because I realize it's not so dependent on everything that I accomplish, but it's because of who he is and everything he's accomplished. Now, the biblical guy I'm going to talk about today, his name is Paul. Paul is a really smart guy. He was highly intelligent. He was chosen as a young child to be taught at the feet of the teachers um, that were the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue at that time. They could see that this kid had it going on. And so they recruited him when he was very young to be a good Pharisee. He was a good Jew. He learned all the right stuff. He said all the right stuff. And he was focused. As he began to get older, his chief focus at that point was to kill Christians. So by the time he was 30 years of age, his goal was to get as many Christians as he could all gathered together and see over their execution. And you think, why does he want to do that? Because the thing is that the Christians, the people who are talking about this Jesus, who said he loves you just because you're you, you don't have to do all these rules. That was threatening the faith of his childhood. That was threatening everything that he knew to be solid. So Paul was focused on killing Christians until he wasn't. At 30 years of age, he had an encounter with Jesus. He was going down this road, and then he chose to go down that one because Jesus changed his life, and that's a whole other message. But I just wanted you to understand about Paul, everything that he had gone through and getting to this point. He understood emotional and physical torture, and you'll uh, understand why I say that. And he wrote um, over half of the New Testament. He wrote it. And the majority of the time he wrote it from prison is where he was from. So I always, um, when I'm talking, teaching, whatever, I want you to be able to understand. You see at the top, it's Philippi. So when he's writing this book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be, the book of Philippians. When he's writing that book, he is again in prison in a city called Philippi. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. All those little blocks indicate places that um, he and his uh, colleagues, his friends, were starting churches. That is modern-day Greece, modern-day Turkey, modern-day Asia. I just wanted you to be able to see what we were talking about when we're reading this next passage. These are some of the things that Paul lived with and through. They didn't kill him. He's still alive. So at 60 years of age, he, in the book of Philippians, it's one of the last books that he wrote. He's about 60. So for 30 years, he has been living his life to make Jesus famous. These are some of the things. He was thrown in prison over and over and over again. He never really did anything wrong. He was just talking about Jesus, but they threw him in prison because he, they, were, um, he was, they were threatened by his faith. Flogged close to death. What flogged means is that there was this long whip, and at the ends of these whips, the ends of the pieces, there were um, 
pieces of bone, pieces of metal, pieces of glass, anything that could levy the most pain as they were whipping the person. And it would just rip their skin. It was, it was horrible. And he had gone through that over and over again. He was beaten with rods and stones. And so these, not just tossing a rock at him. I mean, these stones were thrown and dropped on him in an effort to cause, um, you know, to damage his skull, to break the bones of his body and to kill him. You know, Paul knew all about stonings because he had been a part of stoning Christians for the first 30 years of life. This is not anything he was not familiar with. Obviously hungry and thirsty and his life was threatened daily, but that second bullet, and he even got stuck on ships three times. I mean, shipwrecked. I mean, everything was gone. And so Paul understood what it meant to suffer. And so the first lesson I want you to pick up from Paul's life is that my grief, your grief, it doesn't stop your purpose. It does not stop the things that you want to accomplish. It does not stop the things that you are uniquely gifted to accomplish. You know, when we're in grief, we can't see anything but the grief And just because you're in deep grief doesn't mean that all of the amazing things that you're created to do, they don't stop. And so your grief is not going to stop your purpose. And so I want you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter one. So that's where we are. Philippians is in the New Testament. So if you open up your Bible, it's over to the right. And chapter one, this is what Paul says. Every time I think of you, I thank my God. And whenever I mention you in my prayers, it makes me happy. And he's saying, this is because you, all these people in Philippi, you guys have taken part with me in spreading the good news from the first day you heard about it. So they jumped on board Paul's mission the very first day. He says, God is the one who began this good work in you. And I am certain he's not going to stop it until he's finished, until it's complete on the day that Christ Jesus returns. And so when Paul is writing this, he is in another, he has been shackled, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He is in prison again. He is writing this and he's not only thrown in a cell, but he is shackled, chained to this big guy, I can imagine, for 24 hours a day. I don't know how he wrote it. You know, obviously one hand got free or somebody had to dictate it. Something was happening. Okay, but he wrote this at that time, one of the last things that he said. You know, does that sound like a guy that's sitting in prison chained up beside a Roman guard? That to me, every time I think of you, I thank my God. When I pray for you, it makes me really happy. You know, I, uh, I think it sounds like um, when I was writing all this out, it's like it sounds like he's blogging in a coffee shop. You know, he's just so happy talking about all the great things that are happening, but he was in deep pain. As I began to think about what that cell might look like under house arrest, you know, just small cave, I think about all the times that Paul was beaten and stoned, you know, that his body had to be in pain. You know, there had to be times that his bones were broken and they hadn't been set properly. And don't you know that there were still places that were probably still broken? I think about the, you know, all the times that his back had been laid open by those uh, whipping and, you know, being, uh, you know, all the force that had been towards him. There had to be places that were still infected and that he was in such great pain. But he says, I thank God every time I think of you. 
And this is why he could do that, is that Paul was not supernatural, but he knew the one who was. He was just like you and I. He was just a person, but he knew that the God of creation, that Jesus that had spoken and changed his life, he was headed that way to kill more Christians. He had an experience and from that point until the day he died, he made Jesus real to the people that he was called to minister. Second thing I want you to know about grief from Paul's life is that we can find meaning in grief find meaning in grief. A lot of times when I'm really hurting or I'm really angry or I'm really anxious or I'm really disappointed, all the bad, I think if I can just find meaning for this, it might make it a little bit easier to deal with. Look at what Paul said as we move on in Philippians 7 and 8. He says more to them. You have a special place in my heart, so it's only natural for me to feel the way I do. All of you have helped the work God has given me as I defend the good news and tell about it here in jail. God himself knows how much I want to see you. He knows I care for you in the same way that Christ Jesus does. Paul had every desire to be with that church, to the people who had supported him physically, emotionally, financially. They had supported him and taken care of him, but he knew He couldn't be with them because he's in prison. But it did not stop the fact that he could write a letter and encourage them. He did not let it stop his purpose. This book, Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. When I was in deep grief at a moment in the things that were happening with Evan, I came across this book and it was absolutely life-changing for me. Dr. Frankl was an Austrian and he was a psychiatrist. And in 1944, Dr. Frankel, along with his wife, his family, they were all gathered up and shipped to Auschwitz, the concentration camp. And he, against all odds, survived that horrible experience. But Dr. Frankel lost his wife, he lost his family, he lost his practice, he lost his friends, he lost everything but he walked out of that concentration camp and he wrote this book about the spiritual transformation and what it took to get him through that physical and emotional torture. This book is amazing. I would encourage anybody to read it. It's a difficult book to read um, because it's so detailed and graphic and he is a psychiatrist. But there was one sentence that grabbed me in the middle of that pain that I felt like I had no control. My son's life, it looked as if it was destroyed. And I really, for about six months, was very concerned that he was going to stay on the planet. I was so afraid that he was over and that um, he was just that desperate. And so I had no control over what was going to happen, but this sentence helped me. The one thing you can't take from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Dr. Frankel had no control over losing his wife over losing his children and losing his family, over losing his practice, over losing the dreams. In just one day, he was taken off and put in a concentration camp and tortured for the foreseeable future. 
But after it was all said and done and he was writing his words, he realized they took everything from me. But the freedom to make my own choices, to respond the way I want to respond and the way I should respond to what they did to me, I will forever retain that. And that's what he said. It's the same thing Paul was doing in the book of Philippians. He was in pain. He was um, physically, emotionally, he was alone. He'd been separated from his friends, but he chose to focus on the things he could do. The third lesson I want you to understand through Paul's life is to see others through my grief. I can always choose to see the walk, the path, the life of another individual through my own pain. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's supernatural. But the one that we know who is supernatural will help us through that. Well, I saw this video that I'm going to show you at the 1st of February, and I knew that this would illustrate this point better than anything else. So watch this. So what can I do for you today? Do you, do you, you say you don't want to hurt yourself, right? No? Have you ever attempted suicide or anything like that in the past? Okay. Um, is there anything I can do to help you? I could use a hug. I'll give you a hug. <laughs> seems like you got a lot going on, man. It's all right. It's all right, man. It seems like a lot to take on, you know? Dude, we can give you some, we can get you some help. Yeah, we can get you somebody to talk to and stuff. <laughs> As you heard, a second deputy arrived on the scene, and for the next 20 minutes, the two military veterans sat with the man. They listened, they gave him words of encouragement, and they did what they promised. They gave the man, in need of a hug, the phone number to the local crisis center, and they went even further. Take a look. It's all right, man. It's all right. And if you need to talk, if you can't talk to them... You can call us. Call, call, call that number, dude. I'll come out and meet you. I'll sit down and talk with you. You can vent. All right. So I'll do it. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Hey, if you ever need anything, you just call, right? Means a lot. Yeah, buddy. Thank you. Those deputies could have responded to that situation so many different ways. We don't know what was happening in their lives. The pain, the trauma that they may have just walked away from as police deputies. But they chose to get involved in the life of someone who was totally at that moment broken. It was a choice that they made. Our team is coming to sing a beautiful song that illustrates this so well. But these are the words that when I heard this song the first time have not left me. In the blessing, in the pain, because you're going to have both. There are going to be good days and there's going to be really painful days. You are worthy. Whether you say yes, whether you say no, or whether you say wait, he is still worthy. And through it all is it a choice that we get to make. He is worthy.
in the blessing and the pain, I cry worthy. It is a choice. It is a decision. When he wipes those tears away, we'll cry worthy. And sometimes it feels as if the tears will not stop. And we have to choose and make that decision to acknowledge that he's worthy, even when we don't feel that. The fourth thing, and then we're going to let you go. The fourth lesson you can learn from Paul's life. My grief changed me, but my grief won't stop me. So grief changes who you are. It changes your dreams. It changes what you think is possible. Sometimes it feels as if it limits you because it's so hard, but sometimes it fuels you to keep going forward. Can there be hope in something that feels as if it's going to destroy me? I will say to you that yes, there is hope. The entire book of Philippians, when it is summed up by theologians and people who have studied it over and over and over again, to simplify it to the simplest word, it's joy. It is the word joy. And that is what Paul demonstrated. Look at this, pat, this verse. In Philippians chapter three, moving on a little bit forward, and then I switched to the message because I wanted it to say it just this way. I'm not saying that I have it all together. So he's acknowledging that, yeah, it's really bad. I am in prison. I don't have it all together that I have it made, but I am well on my way and I am reaching for Christ who has so wonderfully reached out for me. He acknowledges that he cannot move forward without the presence of Christ in his life. He says, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means am I an expert in all of this, but I have my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us forward, onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not going back. I'm not looking back. Today, you may feel as if you want to go back because there's so much hurt in what you're experiencing in your present today. But I ask you, I beg you, don't go back. You are so capable. You are a beautiful shining light that God has gifted and your pain does not negate your purpose. Your pain does not stop all the things that are going to be accomplished and the song that God is writing with your life. Those four things, your grief doesn't stop your purpose. There is meaning if we choose to see it and when we see others through our grief, it just makes it a little bit easier to carry and understand that your grief may have changed you, but it does not have to stop you. And the takeaway from this message today is you're not just going to live through grief because grief changes everything. We have to understand we live with grief. There'll be a part of our life that is forever affected by what happened to us and to understand that we have to make a choice to live with it, to live through it is a way to survive. You know, Paul didn't have spiritual amnesia and just forget all of the things that happened to him when he wrote those beautiful verses. He was still dealing with the pain of probably the last beating, the last time he was whipped, the last time he was stoned, and he was forever reminded by everything that was happening because he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He did not forget when he wrote those words. He just made a choice to keep moving forward. Dr. Frankel could have become 
bitter and angry and never produced anything else. But he allowed all of that anger and that rage to not make him bitter, but to make him effective. And we're still talking about it all these years later. You know, one of the most beautiful examples of uh, in my life, and anybody who has heard me talk much at all knows that one of the best friends in my life, uh, her name was Marianne Braswell, and she died, she closed her eyes in this world on December 7th, 2020. That's about the same time that I started seeing a therapist. <laughs> now, I started seeing a therapist because of everything that happened in 2020, and I just was having a hard time dealing with my own grief. And I wasn't acknowledging it well, and I was becoming smaller and smaller inside myself. I didn't have a whole lot of confidence that things were going to get better, so I knew I needed to see someone. After Marianne had been dead about six to eight months, um, I was seeing, and the therapist would often say, are you ready to talk about Marianne today? Nope. You want to talk about Marianne today losing? Nope, 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 nope. Um, we can talk about other things, but we're not talking about her. And eventually, after almost a year, I decided to start talking about her. Me pretending she was just going to walk in my house one day wasn't working. And so I had to acknowledge the fact that that beautiful presence that was a part of me that I grieved for every day was never coming back. And so as I began to talk to her, um, my therapist said, what do you miss most about her? And I said to her, easy, so fast. I miss the fact that she would always remind me of who I was when I was happy. Don't let your head get too big, Lana. That's great. But you know, you need to understand that this person, this person, this person contributed to all of that success. And when I was really sad and I was really heartbroken, don't let this change you because what I love most about you is the way you love wholeheartedly. Don't let that pain alter who you are. It was just reminding me of my purpose and his plan for my life. And it was gone. She was gone. I have to believe that Dr. Frankel and the Apostle Paul had friends and people in his life that were cheering them on. Some beautiful people have surrounded me since Marianne has, is no longer a part of my life and they have become that voice in my life. And I am thankful every day. It's community. It's not living this life alone. You know, I think Scott touched base on that a lot on um, the second week when he said, don't grieve by yourself. Understand that there's somebody that wants to hold your hand and hold your arms and we want to help you. There are two things I'm going to tell you about that are really practical that we're doing here at Forest Park that might help you in your journey to be the best person that you are. The first thing that I want to talk to you about is our Hope Conference that's happening in April. April 28th through 30th. We have some amazing people that are going to come and speak about all of the things that grief has stolen from us. And they're going to address relationships. They're going to address mental health. They're going to address addiction. They're going to address all of the things that might be difficult for you and difficult for me. This is no magic cure. You're not just gonna show up and all of a sudden be healed. But it is a tool to help you become and have the best version of yourself. 
And so you can register there and we want you to be a part of it. I want you to mark it on your calendars. We'll have childcare if you need that, but invest in you. Mark that weekend and make a promise to yourself that the purposes that I have in my life matter enough for me to sit with people who are just like me to discover the best part of who I am. And maybe you need a Marianne to remind you of who you are. And that's what we want to do that week. The second thing is global outreach. In 2020, we, had, we were planning our trip to Ecuador, which we had done 20 years. And of course the pandemic changed that, we couldn't go. Then 2021 came around and we're still dealing with all the issues from the pandemic, all of those effects. And we realized we can't go again. This compounded the deep loss inside of me. I was really struggling with that because it had been such a significant part of my journey to lead these amazing trips from Forest Park and it was gone. 2022, we decide, yep, we're going back to Ecuador. We start planning our trip. And one of our leaders, Maggie Blinn, is diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And we decided we weren't going. We were not leaving her behind. And you think to yourself, you would stop an entire mission trip because of one person. That was the right thing to do at that time. We just didn't wanna be away from her. And her, someone who has supported that so much, could not go and was in the fight of her life. But as we began to plan for 2023, we realized it's time to go. It's time to do something else. And so we're going back to Uganda this fall. I've uh, led this trip. This will be my sixth time leading this trip. This trip is not for everybody. This is a difficult trip. It is hard. It is um, physically difficult, but I have never experienced anything like it. And if you are someone that you think that might be for you, that that might be the next step in your healing, just getting your eyes and your mind off of everything that's happening here and putting it on somebody else, an entirely different culture, I'm gonna be up here at the end of the service and I'll answer all of your questions about it because I would love to have you go with us. We only take a small team, only about 10 to 15 folks, but I want to help you if you want that to be a part of your life. And if it's difficult for you to pay for the Hope Conference, but you wanna go to that, please let me know. We do not want that to be a difficult thing if you really want to come. Know that He is worthy of your song. He is worthy of your story. He is worthy of it all. And He's gonna be there for you. And we want you to know that we wanna partner with you. Thank you for your time today.